Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. My wife and I uh, met in college and we started dating and I like to tell people that the closer we got together uh, in our relationship, really the further we got away geographically. Uh, So much so that by the time about 10 months in that I knew I wanted to propose to her and marry her, uh, she was living in Tennessee and I was living in Dallas. And so not a big country music fan, honestly, but I couldn't help but to listen to Alan Jackson's Oh, how I wish Dallas was in Tennessee. If I could just move Texas east, then she would be here with me, and then nothing would ever come between the two of us, you know, if Dallas was in Tennessee. And so I just kind of listened to that on repeat. And so when you're in a new town like I was, and your girlfriend is living in a different state like that was happening for me, I had a lot of free time on my hands. And so I used that time to begin to plan our proposal. And uh, I don't know if you know me well, but I'm a kind of a planner. Uh, And so when it came to planning this singular moment in my life, like I did so much to plan this moment. I literally pulled out a whiteboard and I started uh, kind of etching out everything that would happen. I planned when it would be. I planned uh, how we would get there. I planned where it would be. This, This bench in College Station where we would meet up for hours every single day and talk, this place that we really fell in love at. And, and I did all these different things. I, I began to plan uh, the flowers that would be there, the, the candles that would be there, the, the pictures that would be there. I, I began to run through like these rehearsals, like, like these scenarios. I would practice bowing my knee before her with a fake ring. Like I did all these things because I was planning the singular moment. I I began to craft for her this wedding engagement ring and and I took rings from her side of the family and I took rings from my side of the family and I melted them down to, you know, have one ring to rule them all, you know? (laughs) And I did all of this, why? Because there was a moment that was coming that I wanted to share my heart with her and my intentions with her and everything that was in me, I wanted to share with her. And so I planned for months about this one singular moment and then the day came and I got her to the right place at the right time. And she began to see all the pictures and all the flowers and all the candles and, and the bench that we had fell, fallen in love at. And this thing that I had been planning, I could finally reveal fully to her that I would bow my knee and I would tell her I loved her and I would ask her to be my wife. And spoiler alert, she said yes. Actually, she squeaked, uh, which I interpreted as a yes. Uh, But the truth was, it was such a beautiful moment in our story because there was this plan that I'd been working on for so long and I just couldn't wait to reveal it to her. And when I finally revealed it to her, that there was a reality that there was a needed response from her. That this plan that was hidden was now revealed. And that demanded, that required a response. And so I mentioned that to you because that's where we're at in the book of Ephesians right now. 
that, that God has been orchestrating this amazing plan before time began to orchestrate all of human history to come to this one singular moment when he wouldn't just bow his knee, but he would bow his head upon the cross when God's son would come into this world and live a life that you cannot and die a death that you deserve, and then he would suffer the death that you deserved on the cross when the wrath of God fell upon him, and he would breathe his last, and when he did that, he was proposing to us his heart and intentions towards us. And this plan that God had been working on was finally revealed to us, and that plan demanded a response. And I think the truth is for many of us, we've only responded to this great revelation of God Partially. Like we've said yes to the wedding, but not to the marriage. We've said yes to the ring, but not to the relationship. As I talk to so many people, so many of us just kind of say yes to to God for our eternity. I can trust you for our eternity, but for our day-to-day reality, you've received Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you're not responding to him day after day the way that he deserves to be responded to. And so what we're gonna be seeing this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter three is this great revelation of God that he has been orchestrating throughout all of eternity and has culminated in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And we're gonna be looking at Ephesians three, one through 13, and and what we're gonna see before Paul tells us how we are to respond in chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians He's gonna tip his cards to show you how he's responded. And it's my hope that as we see how he responds, it would radically impact how we respond. And so we're gonna see this great revelation this morning of the gospel message. And then we're gonna see Paul, the apostle, one of the individuals throughout human history that has, has had the most impact for Jesus because he had such an intimate relationship with, with, with Jesus. And we're gonna see him respond in these three ways. And these are the three ways that we need to respond to this gospel. Not just receive it once, but respond to it day after day that we would see the gospel moment by moment, day by day, look into it, peer into it, wrestle through it, not just look at it and then move on, but to see it, to savor it, and to celebrate it. But then that we would share the gospel We would share it with ourselves. We would share it with those around us. We would share it with those that are in a hurt and broken world. And as we share this gospel message in a hurt and broken world, that we need to prepare our hearts to suffer for the gospel. That when light shines in the darkness, the darkness will push back, but the light will always overcome. And so that's where we're going this morning. That this great revelation of God demands a response. That God isn't just proposing to you a proposition or a philosophy, he's proposing to you a person and he wants a relationship with you and he desires all of you. And so the first thing we're gonna look at is that we need to see the gospel. And so picking up in verse one of chapter three, it says this, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to you for me, he says how this mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, 
when you read it, you can perceive my insight into this mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so right here in this little section, we get three different times that Paul uses the same word, mystery. Twice in this little paragraph and once in the next sentence, he says, look, there's a mystery of God. And what a mystery is, is not something that's unknown, but something that's only known to God. Something that's hidden in the mind of God. And yet, I want you to notice, it says that this mystery, it says this mystery was now made known to me by revelation and has now been revealed. And I love that word Revelation. Because that word revelation literally is the Greek word apocalypto. It's the last book of your Bible, the apocalypse of God, the apocalypso. So what that word means is simply this, that that an apo was to pull something away and a calypso was a covering. It was a sheet. And and so what God is saying is that there was something hidden throughout all of eternity past that God had in mind that he was going to do. And throughout the whole Old Testament, it was in the mind of God. And he would kind of uh, uh, tip his cards periodically, but it was largely hidden. And there was this covering over it. But at the right time, what God did is he pulled away the sheet. He oppoed it. And we get to now see it. And we get to experience something that's amazing and wonderful. And the more we peer into it, the more we see there's something beautiful here. There's something amazing here. Because this thing points to a deep reality of a relationship with the God who is. And so what is this mystery? What is this revelation? Well, verse six is gonna tell us. It says, this mystery is that the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, not a part of God's chosen family in the Old Testament, and so I would guess 99% of us, that this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, that the great mystery is that the God who is became what he was not, human, died the death you deserve, raised to life, and he has now connected you back to God, but also has brought you into one another. That this right here, if you've been studying the book of Ephesians with us, you'll know this is the exact reversal of what we're called to remember. The first command in Ephesians 1 through 3, if you remember, was remember. And he says, I want you to remember in chapter 2, 12, that you were at that one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. He goes, I want you to remember that reality before you came to know the person and the power of Jesus Christ. But then he says this great revelation that at one point you had no hope in the world. You were without God. This great revelation is that though at one point you were separated, now you're a fellow heir. At one point, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't a part of God's family. Now you're a member of the same body with one another. That at one point, you were strangers to the covenants of promise, but now you're partakers of the promise. It's this beautiful, amazing good news. And all of this only happens not when a Jew becomes a Gentile or when you do some religious activity, But rather it says it comes when we receive this gospel message because this good news, it says is in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This good news is offered to us freely when Jesus came and proposed to us that he wanted to do life with us 
And he wanted to link his life to ours that we could have life and life abundantly in Jesus Christ through the gospel. That's the revelation of God. And what he calls us to do next is to see this, to look into it, to see the beauty of it. That's why verse three says, this mystery was made known to me by revelation. And he goes, look, I've written this to you. It's why we're studying the book of Ephesians. It's why we study the scriptures because this has been written to us. But then he says, when you read this, an expectation that you're gonna spend time in God's word, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into this mystery of Christ. And so what God wants you to do is this. He wants you to not just receive this, but he wants you to look at it and perceive the beauties of it. Because the beauties of this from every single angle, as you appreciate yourself, as you show it off to others, as you wear it proudly, it points to a deeper reality of a relationship of the God who loves you and the God who cares about you and the God who wants to give you life and life to the fullness in Christ alone. And so we are called to look deeply into this because when we look deeply into this, this gospel message, this good news, it'll change our lives. I love how Paul prays for us and in Colossians, it's almost the same idea. He says, look, I pray that their hearts, that all of our hearts would be encouraged, being knit together in love, that we would be united together. But then he says, I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God wants you to peer into this great mystery because as you look into this great mystery, you see the beauties of all that Jesus is and all that Jesus done for you and it will radically change your life, not just when you receive the gospel, but when you respond to it and the great mystery of God. And so every single story we tell you week after week after week here, is individuals that didn't just receive the gospel message, but are responding to it day after day after day after day, and their life is never the same. You just heard Eddie share of what his life was like before Christ, but then he talked about, he talked about how I received Christ, and there were certain sins that, that I never struggled with again, and there were certain things that he kept working on me with, and as I beheld the beauty of this, it radically transformed my life, and I wanted to share that with everyone else, and so you see, when the gospel message gets a hold of you, when you look at it, and you perceive it, and you let it, I don't know, renew your mind, it transforms you because it points to a deeper reality of a deep relationship with the God who is. And so Steve Jobs was famous for doing this. He would go into a, a, a board meeting or a conference room meeting and, and he would have the latest Apple product uh, kind of hidden under a sheet in the middle of the table. And at some point in the meeting, as they were talking about all the different things that they needed to talk about with Apple, at a certain point, he would just reach over and he would pull away the sheet. He would apocalypto it. And he said it was interesting. There was always two responses in the room. He said some people would look at it and then just kind of want to get back to the meeting because that's what they came here to do. He said other people, as he, as he revealed the glory and the majesty of the iPod shuffle, they would lean in. They would look deeper. 
They would grab it. They would ask questions about it. They would ask Steve, hey, why, why'd you do this? And they, and they would get excited about it. And they're like, you know who needs to know about this? Steve from accounting. Like, like, like they would get overwhelmed by it. And at the end of the meeting, he was kind of famous for going, okay, two groups of people in this room. There seems to be one group of people that's very content with where they're at in the company. Because I just revealed to you what this company is all about. And there's another group of people I don't think you're content with where you're at in the company. And so he would grab those people that would look and lean in and linger and he'd promote them. And he would pull them deeper into the company and he would start to share all these different things he was working on behind the scenes. And I think for many of us, when we open up the Bible, we look and then we lean back. And we just kind of move throughout our day and it really has no impact on us. And then we wonder why we're stuck. It's because we're not looking, we're not leaning in, we're not lingering with the God who is, because when that happens, it transforms you. And so I don't know what you've been doing over the last couple months. I know some of you have different plans that you're going through, but I hope that if you don't have that plan, you've been journeying with us as we move throughout the book of Ephesians. It's why we gave you that card from the beginning, so that you could sit with the best teacher at City Bridge, the God who is, and sit with him and let him teach you and him show you all the beauties that he wants for you. And then you can come in here and celebrate that God and sing praises. And then we could collectively open up God's word together. I hope that you've been memorizing Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 to have the jewel of the gospel just rolling through your head throughout the day. I hope you have creative practices of, of jotting down scripture and putting it in places that you can see. I hope that when you open up the words of God, the first thing you do is pray, God help me to see you, because that's the prayer of Ephesians 1. Are you looking? Are you lingering? Or are you just looking and leaving? Because when you look, when you linger, God will pull you in deeper into it himself and he'll show you the beauty and the wonder of all that he is and all that he wants for you in this life in Christ is hidden all the knowledge and wisdom and treasure of God and we need to see him we need to see the gospel and when you see the gospel the most natural thing to do after that is to share it it's the most natural response to seeing something beautiful and that's what Paul says next he says, of this gospel, of this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. He says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, which I love that Paul adds that in here. He just looks at himself and he recognizes that he's not super Saint Paul. He's the very least of the saints. And so that's why he keeps repeating this idea of grace. This grace was given to me to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light to everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Now, Paul was saying, when I saw something beautiful and God revealed this thing to me, the first thing I did as a response was to preach. I proclaimed, that's what that word means. It has nothing to do with the stage and everything to do with simply sharing, sharing this good news. 
And I love what he says. He goes, I came to preach what? He goes, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the person of Christ, but then also the plan of God, that God is creating an us to unite us back to him and then us back to one another, that God is moving in this world and it's all by his grace that he's doing this. That three times in this passage, Paul references grace that was given to me as a gift. It says back in verse two, that this grace was given to me. Verse seven, this grace was given to me. Eight, this grace was given to me. I've gotten it. And because of that, he sees himself as a steward, as a minister and someone who's gonna preach the grace of God. He's a steward. He's a shepherd. And he's someone who's gonna go out and share. Do you see yourself that way? A steward is someone who gets something from someone who's over them and that person who's over them has an expectation that they're going to use that thing well. A shepherd, a minister is someone who loves and leads God's people and then someone who's a sharer of preach is someone who shares the good news of Jesus Christ and so when Paul has received this message, he goes, I'm a steward of this and it's not just for me, it's for others that I might shepherd others with it, but then I might share it with a hurting and broken world that needs it, and all of this is the grace of God. And so to share something is the most natural response to seeing something amazing. And we know this, like we all know this. Like anytime something drops on on Netflix or Hulu or, or Disney Plus, what's the only thing people talk about the next couple days? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Why? They're saying, I saw something that was amazing and I gotta share it with someone. I remember back in college, I saw Dark Knight, the second Batman movie at midnight. And I walked out at 3 a.m. and I started calling my friends to tell them about the glory and majesty of the Dark Knight. And one guy was like, dude, it's 3 a.m., stop calling me. I'm like, man, that's on you. I gotta share this because it's amazing. Sharing is the most natural response to seeing something amazing. And so if you have a sharing problem, you have a seeing problem. I know this has been convicting for me these last couple weeks, and actually every single year when I fill out my 4B, It's convicting because I have to mark year after year, man, I wanna grow in this area of sharing God's grace and sharing the gospel. And and I've done a number of things that are good. I've had accountability. I've had people encouraging me. I've had people praying for me. But I've noticed in my journey, the more I see this beautiful thing, the more I wanna share it. When I proposed to my wife, the first thing she did was this girl walked by and she just yelled, I'm engaged! She shared it. And so I got a chance uh, that Saturday before Easter, so eight days ago now, just to spend some extended time with the Lord. And, and I was doing a media fast for that week. And so I just spent time just really soaking in the gospel message. I started in John 13, went all the way through the end of John, and I just sat with Jesus. And I saw him. I saw him interact with people, I saw him love his disciples. I saw him serve his disciples, washing their feet. I saw him speak tenderly and lovingly and prepare them for the road ahead. Then I saw this individual that is love be betrayed, be handed over, 
be unjustly tried, be mocked, be ridiculed, have his beard pulled out, have a crown of thorns jammed into his brain. I saw him have a piece of wood nailed to him. And I saw that even in that moment, all he did was pour out love. I saw him die. I saw him get ripped off of the cross. I saw him get wrapped. And I saw him get laid in a tomb. And I just sat there in my living room and I just started to cry. Just to try to feel what it must have felt like to be in that moment and to see your God and your King and your Savior and your Messiah slaughtered. And all of your hope vanish in that moment. And how disorienting that must have felt like. And how I would have felt like, man, like, was that my fault? Like I should have said something. I should have pulled out that sword a little bit faster. I should have done something. And, and maybe that was my fault that he was there in the first place. And I just sat with that moment to really feel it. And then I turned the page. And I saw him rise. I saw him speak to people. I saw, saw him show his scars and reach out towards people that had just betrayed him and say how much he loved them. And I sat there and all I could think about was everyone's gotta know about this. Like he, he's risen. And, and so all of these silly excuses that I had in my mind of why I shouldn't share it with some people, well, I've shared it way too much with that guy. He's probably getting tired with me. Well, I don't really know that person too well. All of those sounded so silly in my mind. And I finally adopted what First John says, that it was because of the joy that was in me that I had to share this amazing things because I saw him. And so I pulled out my phone and I texted my neighbor who I've texted a thousand times, hey, come and see, not our church, but our savior, come to our Easter service. And then I went to a park that was nearby and there was this guy that's always sitting there that I pass every single day when I go on my run with my son and I pass him and his name's Uncle Mo, no relation, but I pass him every single day and I always have these little bitty conversations with him and I go, you know what, he needs to know. And so I started praying, God, would he be at that bench? And when I came, he was there. And so I walked up to him and I just go, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Hey, do you know about Jesus? And I began to share with him Jesus. And then after I talked with him, I looked over and I saw a bunny, like, like a, a full grown man in a bunny costume. And I just would go, okay, that has something to do with Jesus. Cause you know, bunnies and Jesus go hand to hand. And for some reason, and so I go, okay, I'm gonna walk over to this bunny. And there was a bunch of people around the bunny. And I go, I don't know if they know about Jesus, but they're about to hear about Jesus. And if they do know about Jesus, then I'm gonna talk to them about Jesus because I'm on team Jesus. And that happened. Cause I saw them. You have a sharing problem, you might be like me in which you have a seeing problem. And so have accountability in your life. Have people that are helping you. Paul would pray at the end of Ephesians in chapter six, would you pray for me that I might be bold to proclaim this mystery? Those are good things. But if you keep doing that and year after year, you still struggle here. Then maybe you don't have a sharing problem. Maybe you have a seeing problem. And so this week, who needs to know? Who in your life needs to hear about the God who is and see the ring 
that points to a relationship. Whoever just came to mind for you, would you take a risk and share with them about the one that could save their soul? Expend some social capital and tell them about the Savior that loves them. Because when we get this right, this right here is God's plan A. It's the church. And there is no plan B. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. And when we get this right, it says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. There's that word again. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, that the, he- the heavens, the angels are watching you. This was according to the eternal purpose that, that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. But the plan of God is centered on the person of Christ, but it moves through the church. That we are God's plan A, and there is no plan B to reach the world. And so when you struggle with sharing, see him. Go to him who can give you boldness and access with confidence, and he will take you who maybe have some fear and some cowardliness in you, and he'll give you confidence to go into a hurting and broken world because he loves them and he loves you. And so we see We share, and when we share in a broken world, you should probably expect to suffer, and we would suffer for the gospel. Paul will begin and end this section talking about suffering, this section that's all about the beauties of the gospel, he begins and ends with his own suffering for it. But as a friend of mine once said, Jesus suffered to obtain our salvation. We suffer now to proclaim his salvation. In verse one, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And in verse 13, he says, I don't want you to lose heart for, over what I'm suffering for you because it's for your glory. And I've talked to a lot of you who have lost heart. And you look at Pastor Paul right here and he tells you, don't lose heart. I've talked to a lot of you that have wrestled with the world and the what it's becoming and you've lost heart. That means to lose courage, to lose the courage and confidence that Jesus purchased for you, and you've lost it. And let me be clear, it's not easy. It's not easy to to, to live in a world that when you turn on the news, you, you hear laws going forth that are so antithetical to the God who is and his heart and his intentions for people. That's not easy. It's not easy to hear your kids come home from school and and hear what they're getting taught and need to unravel the things that they're learning. It's not easy to go into work and think just by being a Christian, I'm gonna lose my job because I won't attend that and I won't sign that. That is not easy. But as tenderly and as lovingly as I can, quote Jesus, He never promised easy. In fact, he promised the opposite. The night before he was betrayed, 
He pulled in his disciples and he said to them, I've said all these things to you that in me you might have peace because in the world you're gonna have tribulation. In the world you're gonna have persecution. In the world you're gonna have pain and suffering. But then he says what Paul says, take heart, have courage. Why? Because I've overcome this world. How can you have peace in the midst of your persecution how can you be stable when there's so much suffering it's because your life is tethered to the one who suffered fully for you and he conquered that grave and he's conquered this world your life is tethered into the lion of judah your life is tethered to the one who can give you strength even when the situations around us are chaotic and messy he can give you courage. He can give you boldness. Because he has that in full. And so, you look at the world around us, and it's hard. And yet, the way that Rome was turned upside down, where this letter was written, was not when Christians took to social media and railed against Caesar. But it was rather when Caesar railed against them and they stood strong and they spoke up and truth sounded like hate to those who hated the truth. And you read throughout your New Testament and these individuals joyfully were persecuted they were hauled off to the Colosseum to be mauled by animals and they would sing going there. How could that be? It's because they knew something. They knew someone. They knew that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. They knew that the worst thing that they could do to you was kill you, and they did that to Jesus, and he seems to be doing okay. They knew that the culmination of all their suffering was death, and I'm tethered into the one who has conquered death and is alive, and he's living in me, and I've seen him, and so I'm gonna share him, and if that costs me my job, if that costs me my life, then I will joyfully sing so that I can suffer for the name, because I know that this life isn't it. And I know this light and momentary suffering is producing for me an eternal weight of glory that is far outweighs anything I could suffer. And I know that those that are closest to the throne according to Revelation are those that have been beheaded for the faith. I know these things and I know him. And he's worth everything, even my very life that they knew the cost of following Jesus, that it says in 1 Peter 2, 21, for to this you have been called. Why are we surprised? To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, not to pick up your arms, but to pick up your cross. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth when he reviled, meaning responding in anger, someone throwing anger at him. He did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so City Bridge Community Church, live in such a way that forces the world to take God seriously. Speak up, do not shut up, but you don't revile. You don't throw insults, but you continue to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly because in this life or the next, he will make it right. Because when Jesus came, the worst thing in the world happened, the death of the Son of God. And yet three days later, he would breathe life. And as we look at that singular moment, it was God proposing to us that we might see him, and we might share him, and we might suffer for him as we walk with him, as we know him, and as we find life to the life, fullness in him, this is the revelation of God. And so City Bridge Community Church, let's respond to it. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.